If you need $10,000 a month, then you're probably at a pre-retirement income somewhere north of $200,000 a year. The number of people that we have worked with and personally seen at that income level who were on a path to be at $3 million in, in retirement-style assets by the time they get to retirement, it's not everybody. I don't think you need $3 million. I think you can do this $10,000 a month goal with far less than $3 million, as long as you have the right strategy which is not a, a sort of blind hope of, well, accumulate, 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 and use the 4% rule. Over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise. Retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges of modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire With Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. So I have a question for you. All right. If I want to retire and have $10,000 a month in income, mm. what do I got to do? You got to have a lot of money. <laughs> How much money do I need to have? A lot. Yeah, I'm very specific. Thanks for tuning in to the Retired Confidence <laughs> Podcast. We will see you next I'm gonna, week. I'm going to give you as vague and specific an answer at the same time as I possibly can. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's going to be seven digits and have two commas. <laughs> see? Very specific and very vague. Fantastic. You know, we, do need, we do need somebody to run for president <laughs> uh, if you would. Uh... Hey, I'm not going to do that. So okay. <laughs> I can't finance my own campaign. So, <laughs> so um, I would I would hazard the guess that this question is often answered in the the following way. Okay, we we generally approach it from the perspective of well, we have this rule generally in personal finance that we follow, which says you should withdraw four percent of your retirement assets as income. Yep, um, it's. It's been accepted as gospel at this point. So it's it's a reference to some work that a, a gentleman by the name of William Bengen, I've got that right. Yeah, um, Bill did, Bengen did years and years and years ago, and um, it's academic work published in in the mid nineties and said, "Hey, um, looking at historical market data, if you were to withdraw right. no more than four percent, you would never run out of money." So we all just sort of took that and ran with it as 4% right. the number. So right. that's what you got to do. And there were there were a couple particulars that people often leave out because a lot of the stuff on the web or on the internet, the web, okay, boomer, um, <laughs> <laughs> the WW, no, talks about using, you know, a straight equity portfolio, usually the S&P 500 index fund or maybe the Vanguard total market fund in the analysis when their people are back testing things they often look at those as see the four percent rule would have totally worked out if i'm not mistaken bingen's original research was a 50 50 mix of stocks and bonds and there's some debate about some people like to say well you should also use inflation in the calculation so inflate your four percent by whatever the rate of inflation is mm -hmm. over time it's which if i'm not mistaken he did in his original analysis i, I, I think you're i think you're correct but we're not going to go deep down the rabbit hole in that. Yeah. Just that's just sort of a a, a primer. So ten thousand a month, hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Divide that by four percent. That gets us three million bucks. So there you go. Seven See, digits. I two told columns. you a lot of money. <laughs> there you go. For the for the average person, that's a lot of money. Traditionally, in in personal finance, I think that's the answer that a lot of advisors would give somebody. 
And I suppose, depending on what flavor of financial strategy you want to buy into, that could be the answer. Get to three million bucks, you can have $10,000 a month. I'm going to say that you and I would be a little underwhelmed with that answer. I have a few issues with that. Okay. One primarily uh, in, in preparing for this recording, I, I did my own, I performed several back tests because I'm always, you know, curious. One, we just had a year end. So it's the yep. beginning of 2024. Don't know when you're watching this, but when we're recording this, it's the beginning of 2024. So we've had, we got a whole another calendar year's worth of data. Mm -hmm. So I ran a back test and I ran it as the, as Bingham defined the 50, 50 split stocks and bonds. I used the Vanguard S and P 500 and the, that's uh, an S and P 500, uh, ETF, right? Right. Correct. Okay. Index so ETF. Not an index fund, but an ETF. Not that they, they vary that right. much, but this is something that could be influenced by buying and selling pressure uh, right. on any given day. Right. And the, um, the BND, which is the, the Vanguard total bond mm -hmm. ETF, mm -hmm. uh, and a limited, uh, I think it's VU data only goes back to 2011. So I'm, maybe it came late 2010. So 2011 was the first full year. So I could only run that back test for those two things that far back. Mm -hmm. Long story short, everything works out okay. I'm not going to like get into the specific numbers. But at the end of 2023, you still got more than what you started with. I ran it at a $500,000 portfolio just to see. So you started with the $20,000 withdrawal at the 4%. And okay. Then, okay. Which you know, all this would scale up if you assume yeah, three million and, and increased and increased it by the rate of inflation every year. Blah 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 blah. Yep. So it 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 works out fine. You got more than five hundred thousand dollars at the end of twenty twenty three, and your income has been sustained, and that's wonderful. The downside is that in twenty twenty two you went from like seven the low seven hundred thousand dollar range in total account balance what? to like mid fives. That's a scary moment for a lot of people. That's my. I, I took the long way around to get us here. Um, yeah. My apologies for that. But the point I'm trying to make is having done this for 23 years, I don't think I have met or worked with a lot of people that would have stomached that. Right. Decline. Because once once somebody has something, even if it's if it's more than they were expecting to have. Yeah. If you take it away. Right. There's a it's problem a, that they have. There's a that. there's a psychological impact. Psychological and slash emotional impact. Yep. Um and and people tend to do the wrong thing at the worst possible time. So my point is I think it does work in back tests. That's <laughs> that's the caveat. I mean But all the psychology is removed. Right. Like it's it's very easy to look at a stock chart of any stock you want mm -hmm. and go, oh look, you could have bought there and sold there, and and <laughs> yeah. and all these great things would have happened. Or or you can look at the mountain chart, right? And you can right. you can say, oh well, if I had put ten thousand dollars into pick your favorite booming equity, yep. um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. look at what it's worth today. But right. the thing we like to to ignore along that path are the times that it went up and down and up and down and would you have been okay with it when it went down because remember right. you don't know where it went after that if you're living in the moment you look yeah. out into this dark abyss of nothingness going right. oh crap as this has the ride ended yeah and nobody knows and that's that's the tough part and right. it's very easy to overlook on paper yeah it's very hard to do in practice and look th the other i guess philosophical difference that i have with the the four percent rule, and then we'll we'll move on from this because it's yep. not an episode about the four percent rule. Just feel like we have to cover it. the the philosophical different um, problem that I have with it 
is that you're constantly selling your assets to meet an income need. And the problem with that is you eventually run out of assets. Mm -hmm. And the 4% rule academically on paper works. And I'm not saying it won't work for people who do it in reality. I'm not saying it won't, but I am saying we don't know if it will. When you're 67 or 70 and you're done working, like to the point that you probably can't work to the level that you did when you were 27, Mm -hmm. that's a scary prospect because it's not like, you know, I retired, I was making a quarter million dollars a year and I've been retired for three years now and I feel like I'm running out of money. So I'm just going to go back and get me another one of those quarter million dollar a year jobs. Yeah, that's, they don't hand those out. I mean, maybe if you have some executive level experience and you're able to do consulting work or something like that. Yeah. But most people, that's not, that's not a reality. So, but let's also talk about the reality of being able to accumulate $3 million in a, in a portfolio. No, that's good. Let's, let's, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? $10,000. I mean, if, if, if $10,000 is what you need in retirement, you have an above average income. While you're working. You have an above average lifestyle for most yeah. retired people. Yes. I mean. Yes. So yeah, you've got more income, but the ability to accumulate $3 million in a portfolio, I mean, that's, we've worked with a lot of people who are, are certainly above average in terms of income. Yes. And a very, very small percentage of them. As well, actually. Yeah, a very small percentage of them. Yeah. Have portfolios that have $3 million or more in them. Correct. You're absolutely right. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday. Okay. I was like, in 23 years, I've worked with, I've, I've had, let's just put it this way. I've had conversations reviewing the intimate details of people's personal finances, thousands. Mm-hmm. I've had thousands of those conversations. Um, I have met, on less than one hand, the number of what I call do- regular people. And I, and I, and that could be varying income levels, but I mean, in terms of their W-2 employees, they work okay. for someone or for a company. Less than five have I ever met that had anywhere close to $3 million liquid. Now, we've worked with tons of people who have net worths, you know, eight-figure net worths, but liquidity, $3 million? No. Not a lot. Very few. Now, there's things that they could potentially do, sell something that they own and, and have the $3 million bucks, of course. but it's, it's, you know... I would I would hazard the guess that if you need if you need ten thousand dollars a month, then you're probably at a pre-retirement income somewhere north of two hundred thousand dollars a year. The number of people that we have worked with and personally seen at that income level who were on a path to be at three million in in retirement style assets by the time they get to retirement, it's not everybody. I wouldn't even say it's fifty percent of them. Right. Absolutely. So that. That, that makes it tricky. Now, uh, here's the great th- news as a transition here. I don't think you need $3 million. No, I, I don't think you do either. I think you can do this $10,000 a month goal with far less than $3 million. Right. As long as you have the right strategy, which is not a, a sort of blind hope of, well, accumulate, 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 and use the 4% rule. The part that drives me crazy because that's 95% of the financial advice on, on yep. the web. Yeah, and it's 95 plus percent of, of the financial advice dispensed by people who hold themselves out as being advisors and retirement yeah. planners. Yeah. <laughs> you could have gotten that for free on the, on the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the doesn't hope take here, any special skill. 
my uh my nine dollar Office Depot calculator can figure out what your uh, <laughs> what your withdrawal. The hope here is that that by talking about a couple of other strategies one could 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 use, we're going to start a thought process among people that that perhaps this isn't the 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 the, the problem you're trying to tackle. But once you get what we're we're, we're presenting here today, mm-hmm. you start to think a little bit differently, and it helps you. Attack these things in terms of retirement planning differently, and it gets you to a different solution that ends up being better for you. First thing I want to bring up as an alternative to let's just try to put it in an index fund or a whatever the split is between stocks and bonds, get it to three million dollars and withdraw four percent of it. I want to talk about dividends mm. because it's it's a strange world of of the investment environment, neighborhood, ecosphere, uh-huh. however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Some people love them. Some people crap on them. Um, yeah. I think there are, are too many people who think they're going to be a Warren Buffett, even though they don't have a snowball's chance in hell of ever getting there. And they know Warren's not all that crazy about dividend investing. So they go, eh, not for me. They they do not live Warren Buffett's life. <laughs> and um, trust me, he's he's got some things set up that you just don't. So smart guy. <laughs> Great investor. It also so you took cannot him, model your life off him. It also took him the better part of ninety years to <laughs> to yeah. do it. So yeah, start now and yeah. <laughs> I mean, so dividends are a tricky one because, like, I think dividends as a as a as an investment strategy can be a little scary. Um, a lot of people will start looking at what's the yield on on certain options that are out there and when you look at some of the more i'm going to say traditional or widely accepted options the yields really aren't that great they're like two percent three percent i just want to back up for a second when we say yields on when we're we're talking about dividend style investments we just mean the that's the percentage of income to the the value of the of the asset so um, and more specifically awkwardly well probably. well more specifically the the dollars income you get right relative to the price you pay paid to buy the shares yes yeah. that's the only yield that actually matters yes there's different yield calculations you can perform but yep. yeah yield to cost is the only yes. one that i ever worry about personally because for the most part if you're doing this right that's not going to change that much right right um it, it could go up, but sure. it's not going to, it's not going to change a whole bunch, um, unless you've made a, just a bad choice right. in your portfolio. Yeah. So when we, when we focus intently on dividend development in a portfolio, retirement portfolio, we're talking about things that, that are traditionally viewed as potentially somewhat more risky. And it's weird to me that they are, um, for example, cover called ETFs for, for various indices. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dividend strategy. Yeah. With stellar yields. And I know that if you were to register an account with any of the major brokerage platforms and buy one of these securities, you would have all sorts of red flags going off saying, warning, you need to have the highest risk profile we allow in order to buy this investment and understand that <laughs> it's it, just so weird. Why? Because it's an investment that does buy derivatives. It's got the but, word options in it, Brandon. So that But makes the use of derivatives is like the most yeah. elementary, like it's right. not going to blow up. Right application of of calls you yeah. can, it's 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 the same thing effectively as owning a whole bunch of shares of the voo or the spy and saying hey i'm gonna i'm gonna write calls covered calls against this this position yeah. so i can collect that's all income. it is and, and, co- doing. And, and covered calls are are one of the most conservative <laughs> things that and actually it's actually more conservative 
than just owning the stock outright. Yeah, because you're collecting income from the call. And then worst case scenario is you got to sell the, the underlying asset if appreciation gets to the point where you're in the money. Right. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big deal. It, act- it actually pads any losses. It, it makes your losses better. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm not saying that that strategy can't be employed versus buying an sure. ETF that no. does covered calls. You could right. do that if right. you think you can do a better yield. That's fine. Right. But for most people, they don't want to put that kind of work into it. So let's just buy the, the, the ETF or the, the closed-end fund. And, that and, we're, and we're not talking about traditional dividend yield investing here. Like the, the problem with, with dividend yield, dividend investing as it's perpetuated on YouTube, all over the place um, mm-hmm. by lots of different people. The issue with it is in this context, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I, I, sh- I should be careful how I say things. Um, in this context is that a t- traditional stock does not yield anywhere near enough money to make this a viable income strategy for anyone. Right, right. Um, you would have, I mean, someone's going to come along and say, yeah, but if you started at 25, like, okay, yeah, of course. I mean, if it compounded to the point that, your blended yield to cost is is pretty good, you know, and mm-hmm. you've got a big enough pot of money, you certainly could. But we're not talking about the traditional equity out there that yields two or three percent. According to a really quick question on Google, the 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 yield presently at ExxonMobil is three point six six percent, which is right. pretty good. That's yeah. that's that's stellar. It would have been awesome if you bought it in twenty twenty in April yeah. and your yield was like nine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I distinctly remember someone saying we should, someone should do that, and then someone didn't do that. But anyway, when we target dividend portfolio yeah. purchases, right, we're looking at covered call ETFs are, are one option. Yeah, um, there are some other ETF options that aren't necessarily covered calls that would also fit the bill here, but also closed end funds. Right, and people freak out about closed end funds because they use leverage. Right. <laughs> Super high risk stuff. Man. It's 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 craziness. They yeah. they. They borrow money to buy assets. Yeah. To the point that the industry is so weird about them that you can't buy them at every brokerage. Nope. Nope. You can't. Um, so <clears throat> Robin Hood. Um <laughs> what? What was that? Sorry. No, no, no. Is it a sponsor? No. Um <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's strange. The um I learned about closed in funds back when I was securities licensed years ago. God, twenty plus years ago, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. How come no one ever? Fantastic option if you're trying to build income from yeah. dividends. Because that's what they and, focus on. And what was weird was, this, when I started out, I was working in a, what would a full service brokerage firm, which don't even really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so different world. But what was weird is that the advisors, none of them used closed-in funds for their clients, but they all used them for themselves. <laughs> And I was like, what are you? And it wasn't, it wasn't because they were trying to keep it a secret. I mean, it's, it's an open market security. They just were scared to, for some reason. It was a compliance issue. Yeah. Cause you'd have to talk about the leverage. Yeah. Well, so. and it was a compliance issue. If, if something went wrong for the wrong reason, yep. somebody would be looking at this under a microscope and say, oh, you sold them a closed end fund. Did that right. really match their investment risk profile? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Using closed end funds, using ETFs that that have a dividend focus here, and yeah. and you know using some selection criteria for both. Like yes, 
there's leverage with closed end funds, but we're not going to overdo it. Um, we're going to look at things like what's the what's the dividend composition of of returning equity because we don't really right. want to do that if we want to keep the asset base good. Yep. Um, and I realize I'm skipping over a lot of things that that maybe maybe better left for an episode on closed end funds themselves. But um, if we look at that, if you look at the pool of of options there, it's not hard at all. Yeah. To get a yield that is in the eight percent range. Right. We could go a little crazy and get more like ten or twelve. Sure. But let's not do if that. You could keep a, if you could get a blended yield in the eight percent range, and, and I'm I'm just saying across all of the yeah. positions yeah. that you hold, um, that's fantastic. Yes. Which and, is easy oh, to by do. the way, it's not just doing that because interest rates are higher. It's always done that. Yeah, always been that way. Even when yep. interest rates were zero. Yes, correct. So uh, so doing that, eight percent, I mean if if you're if you're really quick on the math, it's 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 going to become obvious. But let us tell you, one and a half million dollars is all you're going to need, right? Right. To do this, the crazy thing is, I don't want to set expectations too high. It could be substantially less than that, even because it depends on how you bought it, these things over time. When you bought, yes, yes. There's a question we're not asking, but I'm going to wait to ask that question until a little bit later. But yeah, in, in the spirit of what do I need to have in order to do this, one and a half million and an eight percent yield which is way yep. better than 3 million. And there's a couple other things that come along with this, which is the fact that that you're not selling any shares right. to generate this income. And we just talked about the fact that that selling shares, it's there's always the scare of am I going to run out of them. Now, the 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 crazy thing about these sorts of dividend strategies is account balance is going to go up and down all over the place. One of one of the freaky things about closed end funds is they do they they can be volatile. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Or they can have the appearance of volatility. Yeah. But the other thing that they do stellarly well is they never really fluctuate that much in terms of dividend. Right. As long as you, so, as long as you use certain criteria, which we're not going to get into, but to yeah. to select them, yeah, generally speaking, you want one that's been around a while, has a history of stability in terms of the income part. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows what's going to happen with the market value? Right. It doesn't really matter because the income no. continues to happen. Right. In fact, um, I had I had run a little model portfolio right before we did this using mm-hmm. um, using that selection criteria, doing a little blend of some closed-end funds and, and ETFs. Not that many different securities, by the way, because we don't need to get that crazy with it. But uh, looking at the numbers here, uh, let's look at 2022, which we all know from recent times, not a good year. Um, so the portfolio that I had put together was only down 9.36%. Wow. Put that in your down 20% uh, pipe and smoke it. <laughs> um, the income generated, though, from 2021 to 2022 didn't change at all. Mm. And here's the other thing about the, the portfolio that I put together. So started started this this uh, run of uh, like 10 years. So with $1.5 million. And yep, right in the first year, $127,000 was the actual income receipt. So great. So looking at this as it as it moves over time, the the income generated from this actually goes up. So we're not buying any more shares of anything. We're just watching dividends increase. And and actually from 2021 to 2022, we went from $158,000 of income to 160. So you started with 127,000, you said, was yep. the first year. So in 10 years, you went from 100 and... Well, uh, nine years, 160. Without adding any more money. Correct. Or Nobody reinvesting dividends. Nope. Now, account balance, is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's slightly below the $1.5 million dollars. Mm-hmm. By the time we get to this, this yeah. point, but you've you've already extracted more than one and a half million dollars. You've in already income. taken yes, exactly, <laughs> or close, probably, exactly. probably quite close. Yeah, that's the way I always do the math. Is like, is the income sufficient? Like, what's my sort of? It doesn't matter on paper, but like, 
in my mind, what's my break even mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. uh, extracting value? If I can extract 100% value and still have 100% of my original investment or something close to it, and a 10 year later, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't think well, there's the, any the, person out there, any investor in the world who would look at that and go, I don't want to do that. So calculated CAGR on this is negative 1.8%. So if we were to take this example of 10 years and extrapolate it for 30, 40 years yep. at negative 1.8, we would never run out of money. Right. Because <laughs> you're never selling a share. Mm-hmm. You're just collecting the income. So even with that decline in, in, in value over that time period, which is, I mean, kind of idiosyncratic because there are definitely times in this, this historical example where we're above our 1.5 million. Yeah. So share prices just fluctuate. Yeah. But income is rock solid. There's other things that this brings to the table that are, are quite fantastic. We're not selling shares, so there's a whole lot of risks of investing in the market that go away. Yeah. When it comes to retirement distribution. Yep. And we're we are also eliminating what I would consider the most dangerous component of sequence of returns risk, which is a negative compounding aspect of market goes down, plus you gotta pull money out, which means you gotta sell at a lower price. Yep. And you're gonna make the 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 prospects of gaining back your loss even harder. Exactly. Which is why Bingen's original four percent rule conversation had a blended 50-50 mix because he's trying mm-hmm. to control that volatility, the wild swings. Now, obviously in 2022, you, you got hammered. Um, so didn't matter. But Big takeaway is you can get there on far less money than the 4% rule would have you believe. You just got to know that there are other options out there. That's right. And that's that's always been one of the the, the frustrations, I think, that, that real serious pr- practitioners have had with some of the generic advice that exists because it yeah. doesn't go nearly deep enough to uncover the things that are really available to people. Right. So you want to do a, a last bit on annuities? Well, I think, you know, we, we got to bring up annuities here because of all the options we've talked about, it's the only one including mm-hmm. the the last, the, the closed-in funds and dividend uh, ETFs we were talking about. Annuities are the only one that you get absolute guarantee. That's correct. You know exactly so, what you're going to get and they give it to you. The the dividend strategy that we just spent a lot of time on, that that's <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Got a high probability of success, but it's not guaranteed. Right. So We think it's better than the 4% rule, Yeah, but not as yep. great as the certainty of annuities. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So if you absolutely have to know. Or absolutely have to have a particular amount of money. A 0% chance that a market anything is going to change your income. Right. Annuities are your option. Yes. Because they will create that guarantee. Yes. And it turns out that for somebody in their mid-60s looking to buy a single premium immediate annuity. So this isn't a, this is the most basic form of annuity that exists. Right. You give the insurance company your money, yep. they give you income in return. Yep. Again, roughly one and a half million dollars is what you need to generate that ten thousand dollars a month in income. If you want to guarantee it for you and your spouse, about one point seven. Okay. So that would be a that was gonna be my next question. So that would be a joint joint survivor. Yep. Yep. Um, does that get them getting the same, the hundred percent of the, the same money yes. or was that a, yes, okay. correct. correct. I asked because of course, um, there are all sorts of different options about how you have well, annuities and, paid and out, but that's one of the fantastic thing about annuities Absolutely. is the customization of saying, yep. Hey, um, here are certain circumstances. Here are our needs. Here's what we have to have. Here's what we can, that can sacrifice. We can build something around that. Now in reality, it's very rare for us to have 
someone who would solely rely on annuity income in their retirement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most people, it's a component. So Brandon was being sort of tongue in cheek about the, I mean, he's being real about the 120,000 being generated from the one and a half million in an annuity in a SPIA or single premium immediate annuity. Most people would not do that necessarily, but yes, they could if they if they had enough money but most people would look at it and go well if i could get 5000 of the 10000 or i could get 4000 of the 10000 a month um from an annuity then you know i can handle the variability of the other the other yeah, you're, stuff you're, so yeah you're 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 right you're you're peeling back an an, an important onion uh, layer here, which is to say that when somebody says hey i need x amount of dollars of income they may not need x amount of dollars of income right they need X minus some number. They want to be at $10,000 sure. a month. Sure. They only have to be at $5,000 right. a month. Right. And I bring that up just to say probably a combination of of lots of different things is how you're going to get to your $10,000 mm -hmm. a month if you want to have the best chance of actually sustaining that. Yep. You could go in any direction you want to do that, but a blend of things is probably going to create the most stability. And I don't mean a blend of things and that you need to own different securities. You do need that too, but you probably need things that are not correlated to one another um, in terms of, of how that income is paid out. And annuities absolutely are the safest because they you have a contractual guarantee. You know exactly yes. what you're going to get. In some cases, you could do better than that, maybe. Um, it depends. But you, you certainly have a minimum. You know exactly. But that's why... That's why you would do some sort of, of blend of these options, right? Like like the annuity could cover the things that like if all hell breaks loose, this is what I gotta be able to yeah, deal with. The non-negotiables. Um and then ratchet into or ratchet into move into some other things that can provide perhaps better yield on the dollars going in, right, but aren't as solidly guaranteed as the annuity sure. would be. And they probably have Again. some short term volatility. The I probability mean, that the income won't come if you're employing like the dividend strategy that we just discussed, it's, it's extremely low. Right. But would have the opportunity as we walk through in that that really brief example where income does go up despite the fact that you've never reinvested anything. So you can mix these things. Now, the other component here that 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 we haven't addressed that that people do need to think about is diversifying the taxable consequences of your income. So $10,000 net is different than $10,000 gross. Assets that you accumulate that are taxable versus ones that are not taxable will impact the amount of money that you're going to have to have. Yep. So there may be a benefit behind moving into assets that do not have future tax liabilities, mm -hmm. even if you think the rate of return of those is going to be less because you'll be able to extract more value from them. All the things we're bringing up is why the simple rules of thumb don't work. And the last thing I think we should mention here is... The question, how much do I need, is, is I think it's okay for somebody who's nearing retirement because what they're trying to gauge is, well, here's what I'm doing. Here's roughly my trajectory of how much my balance is going to grow this year, next year, the year after that. Yeah. So am I anywhere close to the number I need to be at in right. order to generate this income? Can I quit tomorrow or do I have to? <laughs> right. But if you're 40, right. 35. And you're trying to figure out, oh, all right, I, I think roughly I need $10,000 a month. How much am I going to need to retire with that? That that's that. If I tell you $3 million, $1.5 million, you can't like do anything with that. Right. But if you ask me how much do I need to save, 
each month, each week, each year in order to get there. That is a far more substantially important question to tackle. Yes. Because then you can create a roadmap Mm -hmm. that gets you in the direction you need to go to arrive at that place.